0: back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. I'm Steph Albiero. That's Alex Lott, the fantasy phenom. We're back to jump into everything free agency. This is our second episode breaking down what has to be. I don't think this is really that much of a a hot take to throw out there. This is 100% the craziest offseason of all time. We've had two monster quarterback trades with Russell Wilson to Sean Watson. We got the monster Rogers extension. We got Brady coming out of retirement. We got Wentz, Matt Ryan, Trubisky, Mariota. Still could see some moves from Seattle, Carolina at the quarterback spot. Devontae Adams to Vegas. Amari Cooper got traded. Allen Robinson, Juju, Khalil Mack, JC Jackson, Vaughn Miller, Cincinnati. Coming in hot and heavy in the offensive line, bolstering with three stud offensive linemen with Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, and Leo Collins. Alex, I'm so hyped to get into these breakdowns, what it means for fantasy, what it means for dynasty, what it means for redraft. I'm going to just jump right in this thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's so funny because we hit on some of the big trades before free agency. I think the Russell Wilson and the wins trade happened before some of these free agent moves. Last week, we hit on free agency part one. So some of those first movers in free agency, the Christian Kirks, Alan Robinson was in there. We talked about those last week, so go check that out on our channel if you haven't done so already. And when we recorded that, we're like, dang, like we got some big moves. There's probably still a couple more dominoes to fall, but we'll see what happens, and we'll cover the rest next week. Like If we actually went into all these in as much detail as we want to, this would be like a nine-hour episode. So we're going to try to fly through some of these. Some we'll spend more time on than others. But some of the moves, like... Honestly, the quarterback moves are huge. Like Deshaun Watson, that move is huge. Let's just start Matt there. Ryan is a Let, big Let's move. just start
0: there. Let, let's, let's start going through these transactions. Deshaun Watson to Cleveland. Anyone who's watched the show for any period of time knows I am a diehard Browns homer. I was literally a fan of the team through a stretch where we went 1-15 and 0-16 in back-to-back seasons. Absolutely brutal. We're not here to talk about the ethical, the moral, the legal side of this. Long story short, whether you want it or not, whether it's right or wrong, Deshaun Watson's going to be out on the field at some point, most likely in 2022, if not definitely 2023, based on the information we have today. Signs a five-year, $230 million contract, fully guaranteed. That's, that's NBA supermax money. And to see guaranteed <laughs> money like that in the NFL is absolutely ridiculous. The icing on the cake... For the Browns is that his base salary for 2022 is only one million, which means if he's suspended, it comes out of that base salary. Same thing that happened with Brady in the DeflateGate situation when he resigned with New England. So this is a franchise-changing move for the Browns. They're going to be a lot more attractive of a landing spot. We already see Jarvis Landry rumored to be coming back. Will Fuller is going to be coming back. Amari Cooper gets a huge bump in fantasy from Baker to Deshaun Watson we will see players want to play with Deshaun Watson because of the skill set that he brings to the field. We're seeing that happen right now with Joe Burrow, where they're loading up on the offensive line because everybody wants to play with Joe Burrow. We've seen that with Mahomes. We're seeing that with guys like uh, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert. So this is one of those things that everyone in the offense gets a bump. Deshaun Watson, a year from now, could be talking about as a clear QB3, maybe even QB2 in Dynasty Superflex super young. And we saw what the Browns had to give up to get him. This, this is such an unprecedented move, not only from the the legal side of this and the impact that's going to have with the suspension and all of that, but also just a player of Deshaun Watson's caliber at their age, hitting the open market with the no trade clause. You saw what Cleveland had to do to get this deal done. And we'll see if it turns into a value for them. I think it might be if Deshaun Watson is the guy and they can end up extending him again at the end of this five-year deal. And again, after another five years so a lot of runway for Deshaun Watson a lot of time for them to build around Watson and they didn't have to give up any of their players to get Deshaun Watson they still have Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt a top five offensive line per PFF and my unbiased opinion (laughs) as well as a stacked defensive unit Miles Garrett Denzel Ward greedy like Just, I'm so excited as a Browns fan for for this move. I was hyped when the OBJ deal initially happened, and this is like that times a 1,000. Alex, who do you want to break down first if we're going to talk about offensive players, and what do you think this does for Deshaun Watson's value?
1: First of all, I just have to say officially on the pod, congrats. I know I told you off air many times, but you deserve this. I remember a long time ago, like a decade ago, When we were friends, you were a Browns fan. and I just just thought you were weird because of it, honestly. (laughs) I was like, why are you a Browns fan? So first of all, congrats. But uh, man, there's so much to break down. I think first we have to start with Deshaun Watson himself. You asked about his value. I think in Dynasty Leagues, how I am playing it, I'm going to play conservative with Deshaun Watson and say he's suspended for the whole season. I think that is an absolute worst-case scenario. I honestly don't expect it, but for me – I'm going to assume that when I'm talking about him in any trade negotiations, if I'm in any startup drafts, things like that. That's just what I kind of have to assume. If I have him, I'm holding him unless someone blows me away with an offer. But I'm going to assume maybe he misses the entire season. So it's only going to get better from there. And even with that being the case, I think you're spot on. I think there's that tier one of quarterbacks. We've had Mahomes, um, Josh Allen, clearly up at the top. Then you have Kyler, Lamar, you have Zach Prescott, Justin Herbert, And for me, correct me if I'm forgetting somebody, Jalen Hurts might be in that category. Trey Lance is those running guys. But Sean Watson slides in in front of those guys. He slides in in front of the Russell Wilson, in front of the Joe Burrow, in front of the Jalen Hurts, in front of the Trey Lance. So I think he walks in even if he misses the whole season and he's like QB6 in Dynasty. And I think there's an argument to be made for him above Kyler, above Lamar. So because of some of the legal stuff that needs to work itself out and the suspension that we haven't seen, he is still in that tier for me. I'd still probably prefer Lamar, prefer Kyler to Deshaun, but I think I might take Watson over a guy like a Dak Prescott. So I think from a dynasty value, if you're one of these gamblers that has gone in on Deshaun Watson in a startup draft when he was going in like the fourth round or you bought low last year, you're going to be a big winner moving forward for your dynasty team. So redraft as well, I know it's going to depend on the suspension, so we'll see how that shakes out. It's not really anything to break down just yet, but Deshaun Watson himself... I think it's a big winner, and I think the first place we go is the wide receivers. Um, we got Amari Cooper there right now. Donovan Peoples-Jones is the current number two, but you said it. Jarvis Landry, Will Fuller, both rumored to be interested in signing with the Browns. So we'll see what happens. By the time you're listening to this, one of those guys, both of those guys might have signed. But even if they do, I think we got to talk about Amari Cooper and say that this is a huge boost to his fantasy value. I think him going to the Browns, once we knew he was leaving Dallas, was not bad you know it, i i wouldn't say it was automatically an upgrade from where he was in dallas just because he was so good there with that prescott with a good quarterback but going to cleveland being the number one i think was good all things considered and now that he brings in sean watson as quarterback wheels up for amari cooper and he's gonna have one last ride in dynasty where he could be flirting with that top 12 range for a couple more years
0: now the thing we never saw from amari cooper was it true Elite, elite, elite target share. Mm -hmm. Battled some of the long-haul COVID issues in 2021. But before that, 21% target share in 2020, 20.7% target share in 2019. So I'm locking him right in for a 20 to 25% target share right now, right? As it stands before the draft, before some of these free agent silings, Julio hasn't signed, Odell Beckham Mm -hmm. hasn't signed, God forbid he comes back to Cleveland. Dude, there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, there's a few more dominoes that are going to fall. But as it stands right now, even if they do go into the draft and get a trail on Burks, granted, they're lacking a lot of draft capital now. They still have some picks this year, next year. I just brought in a few pieces like Anthony Schwartz, who I think is really, really interesting as a long-term dynasty stash. They're in Cleveland now. Uh, Dimitri Felton is a gadget guy. I don't really love him for fantasy, but certainly a guy that can help the offense. Hopefully he develops over time, but we see the Browns taking these late round names, Donovan people, Jones People Jones fits into that mold as well. I think they're probably going to continue to do that in Cleveland. This front office likes to take those gambles on day three skill position players and then try to develop them. If that Holds true here. I like whoever they take. Hopefully, they can get a deeper name like a David Bell, who falls after a disappointing combine, and the scouts aren't mm-hmm. all the way up on him. I don't think a guy like Christian Watson's going to be there. He's getting mocked like first round, but a guy like a Wandell Robinson, a Sky Moore, somebody like that that the NFL is going to sleep on, but we love in fantasy could be really, really appealing for their value in the draft. But even if they do bring in a rookie, unless it's a true round one stud like a Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks. I'm expecting Amari Cooper to be the clear number one here. And he's going to have that DeAndre Hopkins level upside that we saw. Now, I don't think he's quite a target hog as a DeAndre Hopkins, but we're talking about Deshaun Watson, who led the league in passing yards and was 10th in pass attempts. Last time he was on the field, top 12 in deep pass attempts, number two in red zone attempts, and was fifth in pace of play with the Houston Texans in 2020. So what Deshaun brings to the offense is just going to be nothing but good for Amari Cooper. Honestly, I might value him the same as he was in Dallas, maybe even slightly higher because I think this offense can look the same. And if you think about Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, those are pretty comparable guys to me.
1: Yeah, I don't mind it. I think the rookie take is interesting with you know three first rounders for the next three years being gone. You're right. If they do bring somebody in, it's probably not going to be one of these top tier guys. that's going to command the target share from day one, like we saw with Waddle, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson over the past few years. But I, I do think one of the veterans could come in as a nice number two. And it's unrealistic to think that they're not going to bring in somebody. Like they're not going to enter the season with Donovan Peoples-Jones as their number two. So, yeah, I think Amari Cooper is locked in to be one of those guys in 2022 that could be a top 15 receiver probably in 2023 as well. So from a dynasty perspective, with his age and the expected production over the next couple of seasons, he's probably around dynasty wide receiver 20 for me right now, which before that it was trending way down for him. But, you know, he's definitely taken a step up in these dynasty leagues, someone I'd be happy to have. If you have him as your flex, you are in great position. And even if he's your wide receiver too – I think you're looking solid if you're a contender. But one more name I really want to talk about with this move before we move on. I think the running backs, we don't need to break down too, too much. Um, I don't want to read between the lines there. Stefanski, we know he has the running scheme. Maybe he opens it up and passes a little bit more to Deshaun Watson. Deshaun hasn't had a tendency to pass to running backs in the past. But that's going to take some, some deep dive level analysis that we're not going to get into today. But the tight ends to me. I want to talk about the tight ends. Austin Hooper was cut. grew up with David Njoku. And Harrison Bryant, two tight ends that both have flashed. Harrison Bryant, a younger guy, has shown some strides over the past couple seasons. He made Austin Hooper dispensable. And then Njoku, a guy we all love the athletic profile of, but he just had some drop issues early in his career. And it seems like that's all anyone remembers him for. With Austin Hooper leaving, some tight end snaps opening up for guys like Njoku, guys like Harrison Bryant. I'm interested in both of them as as deep stashes in Dynasty Leagues. As deep flyer names in redraft as well, and guys that I think could crack the top 12 come season's end at the tight end spot, and you can probably acquire them pretty cheap as well.
0: Yeah, David, I joke you. We had to remember he's he's a freak athlete. A guy at 6'4, 246 pounds, has the first round draft capital out of Miami. He's about to turn 26 years old. It runs a 4.64, which is 105.6. So an 80th percentile speed score per player profiler.com, has a 96th percentile burst score. Everything is in above 80th percentile for David Njoku. We've seen the explosive plays on the field. If you like guys like Noah Fant, who are just these explosive yak tight ends, George Kittle is kind of like the mega Uber version, not comping that in any stretch of the imagination, but we're talking about the play style, the upside that they bring, how they score fantasy points. I think that can be David Njoku. And, I think the air yards could be there. I think the air yards could be there for him as well as the red zone usage. I think he puts himself, Majoku, in that streaming tight end position. Clearly, the bear is not that hard to be a tight end one in fantasy in a given season. So I think it's very realistic once we do our full 2022 season long projections to have Majoku in that top twelve range. But let's shift over to Devontae Adams in a monster deal to the Vegas Raiders. What well, we have to know about Adams, everybody knows this. He's elite. He's, he's going to be, whatever adjective you want to throw out there, the clear alpha, number one, target magnet, outside X, playmaker, stud, wide receiver. He's still an easy, easy top 10 wide receiver in 2022. And I'll get into the projection of why I think he's still easily top five for 2022. If we're talking redraft, he may have just dropped from two to like four. Right? The only risk for Adams now are the target competition with Darren Waller going to a new team, even though we can kind of balance some of that out with the Derek Carr college teammate narratives. I'm not reading into that too much, even though everybody wants to it's like say 10 this, years <laughs> it's yeah. Right. Like, come on, this, this is not a Jamar chase Joe Burrow type situation. This isn't even a, Tua, a Jalen Waddle situation. The guys haven't played again in a long time. They're both completely different players than what they were in Fresno state. But I think the year and age, the different scene, And Darren Waller are the only things that knock Adams down from wide receiver two behind Cooper Cup to now wide receiver four or five. And I'll get into why I believe the pass attempts, the pass volume, all of that can still be there. Looking at historically what Derek Carr has done compared to Aaron Rodgers. What are your initial thoughts on this Adams to Vegas move? And I know you're a huge Derek Carr believer. I think you have him in like three dynasty rosters. You got to be pretty hyped for those shares.
1: Yeah, I'll talk Adams first, but I, I am hyped about Derek Carr as well. And I'll say this to me, I was, I was talking earlier, we jumped right into the Watson stuff, but of all the big quarterback moves, those were bigger trades like on paper. The moves were bigger, more pieces were, were flying around, and obviously the quarterback impacts the game more than anybody else. But the Devontae Adams trade to me was by far the most shocking. We had heard stuff about Watson, about even about Russell Wilson. We had seen the writing on the wall for guys like Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, but Devontae Adams – the second Rodgers was coming back, it was just – and he got tagged. It was assumed like, okay, he's going to work it out. He's going to be in Green Bay. Done deal. So this was shocking to me, and I'm with you. I think the risk for Devontae Adams, to me, my initial reaction was there's three risks. One, quarterback play goes down. Two, the pass volume in the offense goes down. And three, there's more target competition. But number two, the pass volume, when I kind of dove into it more, like the pass volume is not going to go down. I mean – Vegas last year threw the ball more than Green Bay. And you look at the targets that are going to be vacated for the Raiders. Brian Edwards had 59 targets last year. You got to assume Adams comes in and takes a big share of the Brian Edwards All of it. targets. Good Goodbye, exactly. Brian
0: Edwards. Bye,
1: Brian exactly. Edwards. It was fun. Zay Jones, 70 targets last year. Uh, Henry Ruggs, 36 targets. So those three players alone, that's 160 plus targets. Then you even have Deshaun Jackson, who had 19 targets. He had a lot of, of uh, volume going to the running backs. So Renfro can still get 120 targets. Waller can still get 120 targets. And Adams could get 140, 150 targets. Like, it's possible in this offense with Derek Carr as the quarterback. And you said, I believe in Derek Carr. It's obviously a downgrade when you go from a Hall of Fame caliber guy like Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVP, to a guy like Derek Carr. Yes, it's a downgrade, but we have to realize Derek Carr is still a really, really good, really, really efficient, really, really solid quarterback who can air the ball out. I mean, over 4,800 yards last season. He's done it his whole career. The touchdowns have just historically been a little bit low for Derek Carr, which has suppressed some of that fantasy value. And you have to look at it and say the last time Derek Carr had a true number one receiver was probably Amari Cooper. And that was before Cooper's Dallas day. So Carr has been without this true alpha number one guy for so long. So now you bring in Devontae Adams. I think it's going to lift Derek Carr in a big, big way. I think it obviously hurts Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. When you bring in an alpha and, you know, as a tight end, as a slot guy, like some of those targets are naturally going to be siphoned off to Devontae Adams, especially some of the high value targets in the red zone as well. Adams is just such a absolute, perfectionist in the red zone he can beat you with the drought running beat you with the size whatever he wants to do so i think adams definitely does take a hit but it's not as big of a hit as i initially thought uh it hurts hunter renfro to me it hurts darren waller for me and i think it's a an absolutely huge lift to Derek carr and he's going to be in my top 12 quarterbacks for redraft this year no doubt about it
0: yeah, in dynasty
1: i think he's just about the highest end second quarterback you could have in a super flex league like i'm very happy with him as my qb2
0: yeah, the question becomes like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, right? That was always the question. Now I'm leaning, I'm leaning
1: mm-hmm. the
0: Derek Carr side when we talk about those two guys. just these clear pocket passers that are getting it done. That they're throwing with moderate efficiency. If the weapons are efficient, they're going to be efficient. So 100% the main winner from this is Derek Carr. Maybe Josh Jacobs. Sprinkle a few more you know, high-value ups with this offense, taking a step up with a stud outside X receiver. Maybe they're not going to be able to stack the box against the Raiders that much. I think he gets a, a indirect slight bump, maybe a few more touchdowns, those kind of things. What's interesting though is right last year, the John Gruden debacle, right? He's gone, and the Derek Carr pass volume just just flew up, fifth in the league in pass attempts in 2021. I think that's a huge positive signal for Devontae Adams now coming into this offense. We've seen. The Raiders trying to figure out this outside playmaker, whether it's Henry Ruggs, Zay Jones, Deshaun Jackson. And even if you look historically, the last three seasons before 2021, Derek Carr, 14th, 14th, 12th in the league in pass attempts. So at worst, it's going to be in the upper half of the league around that 14-12. I tend to think he's going to be closer to that five range again in 2022 because they just made Devontae Adams the highest paid receiver in the NFL. You don't do that and then just not feed a guy – through the air. Now, Josh McDaniels coming to this offense, I think, is interesting because he's been a guy that just, just like Bill Belichick, you're trying to get the most out of his players. I think he's going to adapt where he's not going to come and say, "Hey, we need to establish the run," like, or even say, "Hey, we're just going to air it out." Right? He's going to do the best thing for his players. Right? We saw 23rd in pass attempts with Mac Jones, dead last in the league with Cam Newton. I think that's the perfect case study of where they essentially adjusted the entire offense with, you know, Josh McDaniels when they had Cam Newton and then in the years before, second, second, eighth and second in pass attempts with Tom Brady. So, was the pass volume and pace thanks to Brady, did a rookie quarterback in Cam Newton slow him down. So, we don't really have a ton of Josh McDaniels to bring into the picture here, but if we just look at Derek Carr, that alone is pretty exciting. He's just using his career average, right around 600 pass attempts in a 17-game season. I expect him to be well above that close to that 2021 And if we look at Devontae Adams, pass volume and target share, the last three years in Green Bay, they were 12th in attempts, 32% target share for Adams. Then 13th in attempts, 34% target share for Adams. Eighth in attempts, 30% target share for Adams. So if we think Adams is going to be near his typical target share, because he's still one of, if not the best wide receiver in the league, I think at at worst we're looking at like a 27 28% target share take some off the top for the other weapons in the offense, primarily Darren Waller. I think Renfro is a huge loser from this deal. Obviously we saw him carry the offense, which is great at times last year, but this is Devonte Adams. We're talking about, if you think he's going to get that 27, 28% target share, like he typically gets, you already alluded to it, right? Last year, the pass attempts and passing yards were better in Vegas than they were in Green Bay. All right. So I think it can be Realistic for Adams to get pretty darn close to what he was giving us in Green Bay over the last four years where there was no competition for him. That's, that's really the clear impact on his value and why it would go down It's just Darren Waller being in the picture. But this is, this is such an exciting move. If anyone's worried about Devonta Adams in Vegas, I'm buying. Now, I'm not going crazy and sending a huge offer for him because he's going to hit age 30 after this season. That's another piece of it in Dynasty, why we should be bringing Adams down a bit, but he's still putting up monster numbers well past the A.J. Apex, two years past the A.J. Pex. He's a guy that on a win-now team, I want him on my roster. One and last if I have thing. Garrett
1: Carr, even more. Yeah, one last thing, if we want to go down narrative street, all the noise has been in the AFC West this offseason. So we try not to buy too much into schedules, especially this early. But they're playing Justin Herbert twice in the Chargers. They're playing Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs twice, Russell Wilson in Denver twice. So they're going to be in some shootout games as well. They're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to have to put points on the board. I'm looking at their opponents for 2022 now. They also have games against the Arizona Cardinals, against the Los Angeles Rams, against the New England Patriots with Mac Jones. So, like, these are teams that some of them have good defenses, but they score points, and there's going to be a lot of back-and-forth shootouts for this Raiders team. So I'm with you. I'm excited about Devonta Adams. I think the overall outlook is suppressed a little bit from where it was in Green Bay, but by no means does it fall off a cliff for me, and he's still firmly going to be in my top five redraft wide receivers for 2022.
0: Yeah, we fell into that trap a little bit last year. We thought the NFC East was going to be full of shootouts between Dallas and Washington when they had Fitzmagic and the Giants' defense struggling – I, we we bought in a little bit right we had a lot of cowboys we had a lot of Terry McLaurin I was taking deep shots mm-hmm. on Curtis Samuel and then it looks like the defenses actually showed out all over
1: the NFC East so I think it's a lesson learned yeah it's a lesson yeah. learned when we're looking at shootouts it's honestly more about the opposing offense in all, a lot of times than it is the opposing defense because we projected bad defenses for Dallas for um the New York Giants with Dallas's you know offense that they just like to throw the ball 45 50 times a game so lesson learned that it's, it's a little bit of both you have to have a bad defense you have to have a good offense but even with a good defense a lot of times good offense beats a good defense in the nfl so that's what we're looking for in the afc west
0: and the eagles defense is coming together too they're making some moves yeah. now let's talk about matt ryan to your indianapolis Colts. <laughs> we've talked about my my segment Was so was so pristine. I talked about this Deshaun Watson move. Everyone gets a bump. It's all sunshine and rainbows. What do we think about Matt Ryan to your Indianapolis Colts?
1: I mean, this has been a a big topic between you and I this whole offseason. It's like the Colts have so many options at quarterback at at first, you know, when they trade Wentz. I thought, you know, I would have liked to keep Wentz for one more year, just if I'm being honest at first. But when I saw they got two thirds plus unloaded his contract, I'm like, okay, as long as we get somebody else competent that's at that level or better, like Honestly, we, we did pretty good in that trade to the Washington Commanders. Um, but when we're looking at the market, it was like Jimmy G, Mariota was rumored, Jameis Winston, uh, even Baker there at the end when it was clear that he was going to be out of Cleveland. Gardner Minshew is a name that was thrown around. Trubisky is a name that was thrown around. So there are all these options. I thought of the options. There were some good, not great names. And now late in the game, Matt Ryan, you start to hear some rumors about him and the Atlanta Falcons. It kind of came late. It was after the Carson Wentz trade is when Matt Ryan became available. It was like after free agency, like I think Trubisky had already signed. So some of these teams made quarterback moves before Matt Ryan was known to be available. I think the Colts took advantage of that. Like if the commanders could go back and try to make a move for one of these other guys instead of giving up what they gave for Carson Wentz when they realized Baker's available, Matt Ryan's available, it might have made things a little bit different. So for me at first, I was really, really disappointed, I think, in the Matt Ryan move just because to me – as a Colts fan, since the Andrew Luck days, we've struggled at the quarterback spot. We have a great roster elsewhere. Great O-line, Jonathan Taylor, really solid defensive playmakers. We could use an upgrade to the receiver room, but it's like struggle with Jacoby Brissett. We try to bring in the old veteran and Phillip Rivers, and it's just not enough. It's you know wild card and not enough. And then we bring in Carson Wentz, make the splash move. It's just not enough. So to me, the Matt Ryan move, I think I had some... Uh, memories of the Philip Rivers move. And I'm like, hey, this guy is past his prime, arguably a Hall of Fame level quarterback, but he's really declined over the past couple seasons. Like, is it more of a function of the roster just absolutely falling apart around him? Or is it him? I tend to think that Matt Ryan has fallen off a bit, but I will say all things considered, I've come to terms with it because what we gave up for Matt Ryan, a third round pick, and we don't have to take on the 48 million, all of the $48 million cap hit or whatever it is that he has for this season. If you look at the Wentz move and then the Matt Ryan move, the Colts basically got two-thirds for Carson Wentz, took one of those thirds, and gave it for Matt Ryan. So we basically traded Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan and a third. So all things considered, as a Colts fan, I'm happy. uh, I'm content. I think I've come to terms with it. It's probably the best option we had on the table. Baker would have been the only other option that was interesting to me that was clearly available. Maybe Marcus Mariota. We'll see what he has in the tank when we look at this from my fantasy perspective, that's what we want to do here. I think for Matt Ryan, he's going to continue to be a streamer. I mean, when you look at him last year in Atlanta, the offensive line was terrible, and he's not mobile. So that was not a good combo. He had Kyle Pitts and nothing else at wide receiver when Calvin Ridley went down. So I know the Colts have Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton might be back, Mo Alley-Cox. That's not much better. They're expected to make a move at receiver. But he's going to have an offensive line. He's going to have Jonathan Taylor in a play-action game to rely on, which for a non-mobile quarterback is super important. He's not going to have to do too much. So I think for Matt Ryan, it's a fine move. He's going to be a streaming name. I think for Michael Pittman, as of now, it's an upgrade. I mean, Carson Wentz was so erratic at times. I think Matt Ryan's much more accurate. He's going to throw for more touchdowns. He's going to throw for more yards than a guy like Carson Wentz. And I think it's a bump as well for Jonathan Taylor and for Naheem Hines. Not only do you get a quarterback that's a little bit more of a threat to get the ball down the field, in Matt Ryan but you also have we've said it the mobile quarterbacks the more mobile you are the less your tendency seems to be to throw the ball to the running back position so we saw what guys like quarter Patterson did last season with Matt Ryan Devontae Freeman and seven Coleman are always great pass catchers in Atlanta I think we could see dump downs for Naheem Hines for Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield as well so I think they get a little bump too so I think for the Colts offense it's a, a slight level up I wouldn't necessarily tear it up if that makes sense but I think it's a bump for just about all the weapons
0: the fact that Matt Ryan was moved so late means that the Colts weren't able to, to kind of get their estate in order prior to Ryan landing there. Right now it looks like Michael Pittman and no one else. Yeah. So obviously Pittman's the big winner. I don't want to overreact to that yet. I don't think he's going to be in a funneled situation. I don't know if Colts really. are going to go wide receiver in the draft, if they're going to try to go Julio sign. Jones is
1: out there. That's we'll exactly what I was going go.
0: Julio Jones is out there. You've still got Odell. you got – Some older names like...
1: Jarvis or Fuller, if they don't both end up in Cleveland, could be interesting. A.J. Green, Cole Uh,
0: Beasley. I know these aren't exciting names, but these are names that are out there. I feel like they're going to do something. They have to. They can't just roll a Michael Pittman out there. If so, I mean, move Michael Pittman up to a 30% target share. Put him in that Devonta Mm -hmm. Adams and Green Bay type volume, at least from a portion of the offense, because... Michael Pittman's the clear winner from this. Even if they bring in other weapons, clear winner. We saw that second-year breakout from Pittman, over 1,000 yards, 25.7% target share, which was top 15. He was on top 15 in receptions, receiving yards, was making a lot of good plays after the catch, top 13 in completed air yards. There's a lot to like. And if you look at that Matt Harmon reception perception on Michael Pittman, the guy was getting separation at all levels of the field, was burning corners, as the primary outside playmaker now, that could be a little bit of Jonathan Taylor sucking the defense in a little bit to get Pittman over, but that sh- situation is definitely still going to be there, if not more, because Matt Ryan is less mobile than Carson Wentz. And you have to remember with Matt Ryan, this is a guy that's been top five prior, prior to 2021, right, where just things kind of fell apart. It was a year too late on the rebuild window for Atlanta. They, all, they had Kyle Pitts and of Patterson. as like their primary options, a little bit of Russell Gage. A little bit of Olameda Zacchaeus, our boy. But prior to last year, this is the guy that was, Matt Ryan, top five in passing yards for the last 10 years. Like, let that sink in. That's similar to the Matt Stafford move. Now, Matt Ryan a little bit older, a little bit dusty, coming off a rougher <laughs> year. Like, definitely not as, as shiny as Matt Stafford, uh, especially in the Colts versus the Rams. The Rams were set to compete and win right away. We saw what just happened. But I think for the weapons, it's somewhat comparable. When you look at Matt Stafford going to L.A., Matt Ryan going to Indianapolis, the O-line is great. The running game is great. They have a clear outside X. They just need to add a field stretcher, some slot playmakers. I think they can kind of piece that together, at least for this season. We'll see what the answers are there long term. But as of right now, Michael Pittman wheels up. Uh, And he's still a guy I'm trying to buy in Dynasty. Not right now because people are, are getting pretty excited. Uh, anytime there's these moves, you see the value spike. Let, let the, the hype cool off a little bit. See what happens in the draft. But Pittman is a guy you need to be buying once things cool down on his value. Talking about Atlanta, Marcus Mariota, I don't want to go too deep into this one, because I, I think we kind of know what Mariota is at this point. He's a conservative passer when he needs to be. He can run the ball when he needs to. We saw him really get used as like a gadget guy at times. Throughout his Mm -hmm. tenure in Vegas. And I can't even really talk about Kyle Pitts in this segment either because Pitts is already the tight end one in Dynasty. There's not really much room for him to go up. If anything, I think the Mariota move hurts him. But the fact that there's no other weapons in Atlanta, he's going to get a monster target share no matter how inefficient it is. What are your thoughts on Mariota? Is he a guy that you're looking to, I mean, obviously you're trying to sell him, right? Because this, this is the last sell window when a guy moves to a new team like this. He could be relegated back to a backup as soon as halfway through this year. If Atlanta brings in a Malik Willis, can he pick in a, a macro?
1: Yeah, I think Mariota is the definition of a bridge quarterback this year. I mean, he got a, a one-year deal with a second-year option, which tells me it's like, hey, we're going to draft a rookie this year. We're going to wait till he's ready. Marcus, it's your job. But if for whatever reason... Is Marcus reason, the, Mariota
0: the new Tyrod
1: Taylor? He might be. That's a good comp, actually. But for whatever reason, when the rookie takes over, if it happens this year, Mariota will be gone. If Mariota plays through the year, for whatever reason, they feel like they want to keep him on as a backup for like $12 million, I think is what the second year is worth, which would be pretty pretty big backup money. Um, or if if they need to start him at all next year, like they can they can keep Mariota there. So I think you're right for Mariota. He he is a selling dynasty, but I think at the same time, he's going to be a really interesting streamer. Or if you're in a super flex league and you need a third quarterback for bye weeks or injuries or things like that, Mariota is great because we know he likes to run. Obviously, at this point in his career, being a few years older, his running tendency is likely to be a little bit lower than it was back in Tennessee. But... He, he would never really was a run-first guy at the NFL level anyway. We saw him do a ton of running in college. We saw him have some monster runs. I mean, I think he had like an 80-plus yard run on the Titans. We can get it done even in Vegas or with the Raiders. Even I, I don't know if he was there when they were in Oakland, but with the Raiders, we saw Mariota come into some games and get it done with his legs, whether it's rushing touchdowns, having like 30, 40 rushing yards a game. so. I think Mariota, same way as Trubisky. Trubisky's a little more interesting in Dynasty because he's younger. He's still got a little bit more potential, I think, than Mariota does. But Mariota for 2022 redraft, for the same reasons, should be interesting because if he can give you 30, 40 yards a game on the ground and he gets some rushing touchdowns with it as well, especially for a Falcons team that does not have a lot of receiving weapons right now, he could be a guy with some standalone value at the quarterback position for 2022. But let's see what they do in the draft. I still think there is a chance. People aren't talking about this. You're honestly right to say to sell. I was trying to buy him before the trade, but now that the trade has happened and I've let it sink in a little bit, I'm thinking they're going to draft someone in the first round at the quarterback position. And who knows? What if this was a Cam Newton situation where they re-sign Cam Newton before the season? He comes in, Mac Jones is ready to go. They cut Cam Newton. Like I'm not saying Mark Mario is going to get cut. There's a chance he starts, like, two games this year if the Falcons want to turn it over to a rookie sooner rather than later.
0: The last time we saw Mariota start, you know, it was 14 games in 2018. That was his best season statistically, which is just crazy when you think about the fact that Tannehill came in the next year and took his job, was throwing super efficiently, was fifth in the NFL in true completion percentage. So that's when you take out unpressured throwaways, drop passes, fifth in true completion percentage, seventh in the league in deep ball completion percentage, Had a 13th overall true passer rating. As you kind of look at it more and more, things start to fall off. right? Like The overall yardage wasn't great. The attempt volume wasn't great. The QBR wasn't great. Wasn't throwing a ton of touchdowns. Only had 11 in that year over 14 games. So there's things to be desired with Mariota. I think we're seeing now as the typical bridge QBs like Teddy Bridgewater, like Tyra Taylor, as they get older, we're seeing this next tier of guys taking their place. Jameis Winston, now he's turning into, it seems like a bridge QB, even though they gave him a two-year deal. Marcus Mariota, now looks like a bridge QB, even though they gave him a two-year deal. Mitchell Trubisky, we'll see. I think he's going to have every opportunity to earn that starting job, but could very well be a bridge QB. We're seeing a lot of Kenny Pickett to Pittsburgh in these mock drafts right now from these, these mock experts. But let's shift back to the wide receiver position, Juju Smith-Schuster landing in Kansas City was a guy that you and I were saying, we need to buy low in Dynasty for a guy his age with his track record. He's not going to be a sexy name in 2021 because of the offense, because of Big Ben, because of the tar competition. And and part of the reason we were talking about earlier today, Juju really didn't have a market for him in free agency. There, there weren't really a ton of deals on the table for Juju Smith-Schuster if you look at the deal that he got, it was a one-year deal, only three point five of it, you know, truly uh, guaranteed there. So the other seven point two million, whatever it was, is all incentive-based. They're relatively low incentives, but you see that because over the last three years, Juju has not been good. Like we we can just say he has not been good. Now the question becomes: Is it a function of him? Is it a function of Big Ben? You know, and even 2019, we had the Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph year. In 2020, we had the the Big Ben return from the Tommy John elbow surgery, 128 targets, 97 receptions, 831 yards, and nine touchdowns, which did save him. He was a wide receiver 24 in fantasy points per game. And then 2021 gets hurt. You know, we saw, even in 21, only played three full games and then less than a 50% snap share in the other two games that, that he started. So, not a ton of sample size in 2021, horrible quarterback play in 2019. And then 2020, he was fine, but the A-dot was brutal. The nine touchdowns was really where he made his hay for fantasy. Now, when you look at Juju coming over to Kansas City, I think this is the perfect complement of the offense. He fits perfectly into the configuration that they're setting up with Kelsey, you know, up the seam, close to the line of scrimmage. Now, Juju can also – be a slot monster can be a target man can take some of that pressure off kelsey as he's in his age 32 season as he gets older and then Tyreek kill obviously playing it's really a stretch z they kind of act like he's an outside x at times i think juju he's versatile enough we've seen in his career him make plays on the outside once antonio brown left before deontay johnson was fully onboarded i think juju was fine as an ex i think he's versatile enough to play that role and I think there's potential here in Dynasty for Juju to, to you know, get a bigger deal if he shows out on the Chiefs. You know, Being just 25, Tyree Hill's 28, so you're past the age prime. We talk, Kelsey's already 32. I think Juju fits into that clear Sammy Watkins role, that clear number three. And I love the fit of Kansas City.
1: This is a tough one, man. I, I, I'm battling on Juju. And the reason is because we've seen Juju be great. But we also haven't seen him be great for three full NFL seasons since 2018. So we did say, hey, Juju's a good buy low candidate. I mean, he was, he was dust to acquire this whole season. So I know you picked up a couple shares. I think one of them was for me. So you're welcome on that one to pick up Juju. And the truth is, it still is a good buy no matter what happens. Because if you bought him here right now, you can sell him here. The hope is that you could end up selling him much higher. But if you wanted a quick arbitrage and you bought Juju low, now, you certainly could get value from them because people see the Chiefs like the Chiefs is the dream landing spot we've seen from these big name receivers for the past three years, and no one's ended up going there. Now, we finally do see a bigger name receiver land in Kansas City. And you talked about the contract as well. It covers up a lot of the risk with Juju. At first, it is reported as like a one year, 10 point something million dollar deal. And we're thinking, okay, maybe it's just a prove it deal. Juju isn't. Doesn't quite have the market because of the injuries, because of some of the things that have happened. Kansas City gave him good money for a year. He'll go prove it and try to get a bigger contract there somewhere else. But you're right, it's it's really only three-ish million guaranteed, which is so, so low when you see guys like Zay Jones getting three years, 30 million. Last year you have Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne signing bigger deals than this. So that's certainly concerning. We don't know what goes goes into that. Maybe Juju told himself, hey, I'm going to take less, bet on myself in Kansas City. I'm going to hit these incentives and get the full $10 million, and then I'm going to blow up next year rather than taking a longer deal for lower money somewhere else. So we don't know, but it definitely is a little bit concerning. And my my big worry for Juju is just that best-case scenario, barring injury, we never can assume injuries are going to happen. So if this offense is what we think it is, best-case scenario, he's the number three. You also have Mikal Hardman, who is still going to be involved as well and there is the volume here there is the efficiency with Patrick Mahomes for their number three to be effective I'll give you that but we know Tyreek Hill we know Travis Kelsey are going to be the one too so I just fear that Juju in this offense you brought up this name could end up being a Tyler Boyd it's like hey he is a wide receiver three a flex name in these PPR leagues he's going to have the big weeks where he has like eight for 80 and a touchdown, but there's going to be those weeks. And it could be half the weeks of the season where he goes like three for 45 or two for 34 or something like that, because Tyler Boyd's the clear three in Cincinnati, which is a passing offense with a good quarterback. Juju's going to be the clear number three in Kansas city in a similar kind of situation. So I'm really torn on Juju. If I have him in dynasty, I'm probably seeing if I can sell him for a late first, if I can't get a late first form, maybe like the 201. But beyond that, I'm probably just going to hold, cross my fingers, and see what he does in Kansas City. But uh, I certainly think it's a great thing for his value. It's going to help the Chiefs as well. I do think he still has a little bit left in the tank. He's still so young. He still has so much potential. But this is probably best-case scenario for Juju as far as the landing spot goes in this free agent class of wide receivers.
0: I I cob Juju as one of these – Prototypical big body slot receivers. You mentioned Tyler Boyd. I think it's a perfect comp. Adam Thielen is another one that comes to mind for me. Even Eric Decker, if you look athletically yeah. in the position like Eric Decker had over three thousand yard seasons as a big body slot guy. I mean, that can still be very valuable for fantasy, even if they don't necessarily have top 12 ceilings. I think the type of targets that Juju's gonna get in this offense, I think the A dot will go up, right? From Mahomes to Big Ben, you, yes. you almost have to like that's almost a guarantee. You know, his A dot was consistently outside the top 60 and got worse every single year as Big Ben declined. So I think the A dot gets some, some life breathed back into the Juju production. But you're right, that contract is the scary part, right? There's no requirement, there's no obligation for Kansas City to put Juju on the field, give him a monster snap share. What's to say he's not in a timeshare with Nicole Hardman? Now, I doubt exactly. that's going to happen, but it's in the range of outcomes. And that's the scary part. But when we did see Jude, you have that monster season, right? The season that put him on the map as a, as a player that's six foot, 215, runs a four, five, upper percentile athleticism, super early breakout age, 93rd percentile, second round draft capital. Like, this is a player that, that I think we have to like just from his profile. And we already saw him playing a role where he wasn't leader on the depth chart in Pittsburgh over the last couple of years. Now, in that monster season, he had an Antonio Brown-level superstar in a pass-heavy offense. Last time we saw that, Juju was a top-10 wide receiver for fantasy points per game. Right? In 2018, second year in the league, 166 targets, 111 receptions, 1,426 yards, and seven touchdowns. Now, that's a stretch because really if you look at the production, A, B, and Juju were in a 50-50 split that monster season. But everyone's like, the problem with Juju is that he's not the clear one. Well, guess what? He doesn't need to be the one in Kansas City. So if that's the only reason why you're fading Juju Schuster, I think it's a pretty lame reason to fade the fact that he's not the number one because we've seen him do it. This is a guy that just fits into that mid to low end wide receiver two, high end flex option. Hopefully he – I doubt he's going to fall, right, all Kansas City – players in redraft get pushed up, arbitrarily up these draft boards just because they're on the Chiefs. Everyone loves Mahomes. It's exciting, and you know it's for good reason. Mahomes, top five in touchdown passes the last two seasons, 6.4 career touchdown percentage, one of the best in the league. I think we should expect six to eight touchdowns for Juju in 2020 if he is that set it and forget it wide receiver three in KC if he's not in that timeshare with Nicole Hardman. I'm projecting right now a 700-800-yard season if we think he's going to have a career year, as far as his efficiency, now going over to Mahomes, I think Juju's absolute ceiling is 1,000 yards. You know, And that means the fantasy value really doesn't change for him. has a nice number three and a great offense. Upside comes into play if Kelsey or Tyreek Hill miss time. He could see a small target funnel in an offense you want pieces in. I think it hurts Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Michael Hardman the most. Maybe a little from Kelsey, but I think everyone's already kind of expecting Kelsey not to be at his peak anymore at age 32. I'd love to be wrong on that, but I think Juju can bring him some, bring in some breathing room. I think it does help Patrick Mahomes. We haven't seen Mahomes have a clear number three. They try to make it work with Sammy Watkins, but Watkins did have that 90 target season when Tyreek Hill missed four games. That's the best we've seen. 16% target share from the number three. Other than that, it's been Nico Hardin with a sub-15% target share, you know, high yards after the catch, high yards per reception, but didn't see more than you know, 13% target share. And that was last year. So I think this is actually a small bump for Mahomes, as weird as that sounds for a guy that's a locked in QB two. Uh, well, the debate is going on in the discord right now. If you want to join the conversation with us, if you think our takes are hot trash, you want to debate, you can put your money where your mouth is. Join a dynasty league with us. Let us know if you want to take a look at your trades, ask for pick advice when you're on the clock in these dynasty leagues. But the debate is going on right now in our discord, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes is the QB one. I think I've convinced most everyone to go. Josh Allen's the QB one. So to say that Mahomes gets a bump really doesn't mean anything at this point.
1: One last thing. It's its not a big deal. We talk about vacated targets. I think we make it a bigger deal than it has to be most of the time unless it's like a clear Detroit situation last season. But you look at the Chiefs, Byron Pringle vacates 60 targets. So you, you assume most of that might shift over to Juju. You also have Mikel, who is at 83 targets to Marcus Robinson, who is at 41. You have to assume Juju takes some of those as well. Maybe shaves a couple from Kelsey, maybe a target per game or something like that. So I think realistically... Your yardage projections are are pretty accurate. Maybe we see Juju in that six, seven at most targets per game range, which could make him pretty valuable in fantasy, especially with that Mahomes efficiency if he can improve that that yards per catch number. But Steph, you said it. Let's go ahead and move on to Robert Woods. After the LA Rams bring in Allen Robinson, we're starting to think are they going to run five wide every single game? They trade Robert Woods to the Tennessee Titans for a sixth round draft pick. Now, I know it's a 30-year-old receiver coming off of an ACL. It sounds like they did accommodate him with a preferred destination a little bit, which probably gave the Titans a a bit more of a discount on Robert Woods. But, Steph, what's your first reaction to this Woods trade, and what does it do for Woods' value in fantasy?
0: I actually think it's really easy, really, really easy to project Robert Woods 2022. I put out a tweet going into all the math. I'm not going to read through the whole thing here, but if you want to see that, just hit up our Twitter. It's at Double Move Sport. And essentially I wrote a, a, an essay going into why we should expect Woods to be very similar to Juju, like this, this high-end flex name in redraft leagues. Like we see this field of players that are just these high-end flex wide receivers, have upside on a weekly basis, but the floor can fall out from under them. It's Juju, it's Robert Woods. It's, it's the number two and number threes, depending on the offense that we're looking at. But we know what Tennessee wants to do. They want to run the ball 25 times a game with Derrick Henry. Brian Tamil's proven, despite two years of us doubting his efficiency, that he's going to be this, this super efficient, low-volume passer. I think they're going to throw around 500 times. We saw Julio last year have a 16% target share. I imagine a healthy Robert Woods can command that same target share, if not slightly more though they will be close to the line of scrimmage targets. And I think we can expect Woods to be back in a little bit of a gadget role as well, like we saw him with the Rams. So even let's just say best case scenario, 20% target share for Robert Woods. That's going to be 100 to 120 targets for him. If you Let's just use a 60 to 70% catch rate. Now we're talking 60 to 80 receptions. Right. And, and Woods has been good after the catch his whole career. The ACL tear might slow him down a bit, I think, best case scenario, we're looking at 900 yards and eight touchdowns for Robert Woods in 2022. That's a very similar stat line to Christian Kirk's 2021, which I think makes Woods that perfect flex option next season. Kirk had 103 targets, 77 receptions for 982 yards, five touchdowns. All right. And I think the low end of Robert Woods could be more of a LaVisca Chenault 2021. I know that sounds really bad because LaVisca is just (laughs) getting trampled with more signings. Welcome. Laquan Treadwell back to the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. But if you look at LaVisca's 2021, it was 100 targets, 63 receptions, 619 yards, no touchdowns. Now, I think that's absolute worst case scenario for Robert Woods, where he's getting onboarded back in the offense. He's a little bit slowed from the ACL, right? All these things that could hold him back. You know, Derrick Henry stays healthy the whole season, so they're not airing the ball out. They're playing with the lead, right? All these things could be reasons why Woods is around that 600 to 700 yard receiver but i think he has that upside to be closer to 900 950 that type of range i I think the upside is cap for woods as long as henry and aj brown are healthy we saw aj brown on pace for 140 targets right and we're projecting woods for 100 to 120 so he's going to be the queen number two but i have seen more and more mocks with drake london with garrett wilson with christian watson going to the Titans in the first or second round. So just keep your eyes on that. This could be one with Woods where you got to dump him after this year because you look long-term at age 31, again, coming off the ACL, right? All these things could be why the long-term outlook for Woods isn't great. He's a sell for me right now in all formats just because of the age and the fact you could probably sell high if people are excited about that Tennessee situation.
1: Yeah, I fear that people aren't going to be excited and you're going to sell low, and I still might be willing to sell because – we see it year in and year out. There's just a couple guys. You never know who it's going to be. You know, Halfway through the season last year, you're looking around some of the good rosters in your league, and we know it happens. A lot of times at running back, it happens at wide receiver as well. You look at the different teams, some of the veterans that are past their AJ apex, and you start to say to yourself, who is it going to be? Like, Who's going to be the one that this time next year has zero fantasy value? Look at Julio Jones. I mean – a year ago, Julio Jones is going to Tennessee. He's going in the third, fourth round of, of redraft leagues. He's a valuable veteran push for the championship asset. Now, Julio Jones were nothing in Dynasty, absolutely nothing. AJ Green was similar a couple of years ago, and I fear that for Robert Woods. I, again, you said it earlier in the show um, with a guy like Juju, but like or Kelsey. It's like, I hope I'm wrong, but I expect this to be – woods downfall into nothing now when you brought up kelsey i think we expect him to decline obviously kelsey is still going to be a very very good asset in redraft and in dynasty someone that you want on your contending rosters but woods is in that separate category where i just fear for him from a fantasy perspective because he's a good run blocker so i think he could find himself on the field for the titans he could be a good role player for that offense but when you have nick westbrook ikina or however you say his name i'm sorry if you're watching nick as your wide receiver, too, you got to bring in some veteran help. This is a Tennessee team that feels like they are ready to win now. So they needed help at the receiver position. They bring in Robert Woods. But I fear about the volume. I fear about Woods at this stage in his career. I worry about the offense as a whole. And you said it. If your upside is Christian Kirk's season, which was just a very solid, flex-worthy season. Christian Kirk finished as a low-end wide receiver, two in PPR last year. But you're never excited about that. And if that's your upside, I'm sorry, but I'm out. So I think in Dynasty – If you hold, I think this time next year you're going to be looking at no value. And unfortunately, Robert Woods, it came out of nowhere. He was a guy you want on your rosters as a high-end wide receiver, too, this time last year. And it's crazy how fast you can fall off past the age apex. And that's why we always preach trying to tear into some of these younger players in your league so you can refresh contending rosters as you go because you don't want to be caught holding the bag.
0: The only value where I'd really be – in on Robert Woods, if he falls to that Jarvis-Lanchy range in redraft, where he's going like 8th, ninth, maybe even 10th round, where he's just not the sexy name anymore. He's older. People aren't excited for the ceiling of Robert Woods. Like He could just be that plug-and-play wide receiver, 3 or 4 for your roster if you're loaded up at the other positions. A few other moves to monitor. You know, Baker Mayfield could be moved any minute now. The clear landing spots right now are Seattle and Carolina for the quarterback position. I don't know what happens now in Carolina. We still have Christian McCaffrey there. There's been no teams willing to take on that monster CMC contract and trade. We saw DJ Moore get the three-year extension, which was great for his stability, but sucks because he's stuck on the Panthers now with a lot of questions. Matt Rule has had back-to-back five-win seasons. Even though Carolina's had one of the best-run defenses in the league, especially last year, they have the sixth overall pick in – 2022 coming up in about a month now Alex, get hyped for the draft we'll be diving into rookie content over the next couple weeks but it's that six overall pick and then no picks in the second or third round so i don't know what carolina is going to do after that they have a bunch of picks like the 432 the 501 the 506 the 621 and then a seventh round pick this is not an offense i'm excited about and god forbid they roll out sam darnold to be the starting quarterback under center in carolina i think it's Maybe this is a hot take. I think it's more likely they roll out Cam Newton for the fans oh and Sam Darnold again, and that's just absolutely brutal. We would have loved to see them have one of these bridge quarterbacks. We would have loved to see them get a Trubisky, a Moriota, relative to what they have now. And we just saw Jameis Winston. resign with New Orleans, so he's off the table. So it, it's gross in Carolina. This looks like a situation where you just have to hold DJ Moore and pray that they just turn over this whole front office and David Depper, Tepper can learn a thing or two on this Matt rule experiment that that seemed to just fail at every level.
1: If they don't get Jimmy G, which they haven't really been linked to Jimmy G that much for whatever reason, but he seems like that kind of bridge guy, especially because yeah Baker as well. But Jimmy G is one of those guys that's been linked to a lot of teams that just want that quarterback that feel like the rest of their roster is ready. And they have they need a quarterback to make a push now, Carolina. I don't think the rest of their roster is ready, but they do for some reason. So I'm surprised they haven't been linked to Jimmy G at all um so if that doesn't happen if baker doesn't happen you can almost guarantee they're taking kenny pickett or malik willis at the 106. so we'll see what happens in the draft surely please know please just know don't roll out sam darnold or kim newton with this offense next season but we're gonna have to wait and see steph a couple other moves i do want to hit on before we go one actually just broke today the day we're recording this uh march 22nd leonard fournette uh, gave the Bucks a little scare there visiting New England. And well sure way, enough, they Lenny. bring him back the next day on a three year deal. Got the James Conner deal. Pretty big contract. Three year, 21 million can be up to 24 million for Learn Fournette. Looks like he's going to be back in Tampa. Steph, any thoughts here? I think it's just copy and paste from last season with Fournette.
0: Lenny always wins. Lenny always <laughs> wins. He beat out Rojo. <laughs> He, he got off the Jaguars. He had the monster fantasy seasons when he was won in Jacksonville. Bowl. He won the Super Bowl. Lombardi-Lenny, playoff stud. Like Lenny always wins. We just have to accept it. Stop with the fact he's fat, slow, whatever. Like He's great. I, I, I'm i done preaching for Leonard Fournette. I feel like this, it's mic drop already at this point. A few other deeper names that are just things to note in fantasy. We saw James Washington – Go over to the Dallas Cowboys. Alex, I know you've been really high on James Washington at his value because he's pretty much free, especially in Dynasty. And now he lands in the Dallas Cowboys that now have an Amari Cooper-sized hole in that offense.
1: Yeah, check your waiver wires. James Washington was a second-round pick back in the day. He's been buried on the Steelers' depth chart from guys like Juju, guys like Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Antonio Brown was there when he was there. So, like, he's been buried for a while. Now goes to a team with no Amari Cooper – no Cedric Wilson and Michael Gallup may or may not be ready for week one. So we could see, we'll see what happens in the draft. I know they've been tied to Traylon Burks and some other things, but James Washington, there is a chance. He starts the season as the Dallas Cowboys wide receiver too. So, and then he relegates to the number three role when Gallup is back. So see if he's on your waiver wire. If you have a fourth round pick, I'm willing to toss a mid fourth out there for James Washington and just see what happens with that Dallas situation. Another one said, El- Gerald Everett to the Los Angeles chargers. We, I, I talked earlier this offseason hoping a guy like a Gaseki or a David Njoku would go to the Chargers because Jared Cook's going to be gone. Really strong, really valuable role for Justin Herbert. What are you thinking about Everett in the Chargers uniform? Are you interested at all?
0: Just like Njoku, it's not that hard to be a tight end one in fantasy football any given <laughs> season. I think Gerald Everett can play that Jared Cook role, which makes him a tight end one in fantasy. He's in that perfect streaming range right Behind like that Schultz Goddard tier then you get into uh, Schultz Goddard Giseki we can lump them all together then after that we're looking at Najoku Everett there's probably a few more that I'm forgetting and we'll see how things shake out in the draft but I think yeah we know the set infrared it, get it guys we're now backfilling with these these younger Higher upside players landing in these better landing spots, tied to Dak, tied to Herbert. We're just seeing their value take a slight bump. Two guys I want to talk about. The first one, Rashad Penny resigning with Seattle. Very, very worrisome for Chris Carson. If you can get Chris Carson for a third, just do it. Like you got to get him off your roster. I, I think it's a pretty <laughs> bad sign based on the injury history that he's had, especially this most recent injury. I believe it was a neck injury. It's not good. It's not good for Chris Carson.
1: Don't and be then, surprised if they draft one too. I mean, Chris Karsten and his he's older, he's injury prone. Rashad Penny, it's a one-year deal. He's had issues in the past. I know great strong finish last season, but would not be surprised to see them bring in a running back, even if it's round four, round five in the draft.
0: Last guy that I'm keeping my eyes, on, right? Besides Julio and Odell, right? These are older guys coming off injury. Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon still has life. We'll see if the chips fall for him in Denver to be back and hurt some of those Javante Williams shares, at least for 2022. Some of the open spots right now, you talk about Seattle. They're not in a win now situation. San Francisco could be an interesting landing spot mm-hmm. for Melvin Gordon. I have seen that one floating around the blogosphere. Any thoughts on Melgo or any other names before we get out of here?
1: Uh, you said it. Just a couple names to keep an eye on. Melvin Gordon's interesting. Probably no predictions for you. It's, it seemed like he was going back to Denver, but now it's kind of trending the other way. So he, he might. Be, I, he might be making the. The Leonard Fournette. True leverage play
0: where <laughs> he's maybe like he, I'll
1: walk I swear I'll walk <laughs> he,
0: he visits Kansas City right he, he gets a little bit of nervousness going for Kansas City's
1: a landing spot to watch I mean I'm saying Ceh is kind of toast you and I think I mean he's a good number two I don't think he's total toast but I don't think he's a number one workhorse like they need bodies there so I know Gore flashed last season Daryl Williams whatever but they could Derek use McKinnon. like They could use a a step up at the running back spot for sure and bring in one of these veteran depth names. So, Melgo is one. Rojo is still out there. You know, the interesting thing for Fournette, Rojo's gone. They'll fill that with someone. It's either going to be Keyshawn Vaughn or they'll draft somebody. But, Rojo's out there and he could end up being a good first and second down back for a team. Dearness Johnson from your Browns is out there and he's been great when given the opportunity. Marlon Mack as well. We'll see what he can do from the Achilles. So, still some interesting names. Kansas City. Ooh, interesting names to watch at the running back spot. I think Kansas City's interesting. I think the Jets are interesting, even though they brought back Tevin Coleman to have someone to go with Michael Carter. And who knows, we don't want to see this, but the Patriots did just bring in Leonard Fournette for a visit. So are they going to do something to crater the value of Harris, Ramondre, James White, and whoever that running back is that comes in? Hopefully not, but we will certainly see. So obviously we have teams like the Falcons, Houston as well, that could be in the market for a running back. We expect them to draft someone because they're not contending right now some of these veteran names just might not make the most sense for those teams, but still plenty of landing spots for running backs and tons of names out there as well.
0: Well, that's it for our free agency breakdowns. So excited to get into rookie content over the next month. If you guys want to keep rocking with us, hit that Discord link. It's free to join. Alex and I are in there all the time, exclusive live streams, judging your moves, judging your trade, judging your roster, giving you feedback, giving you advice, and the funny memes. Shout out to our boy, Curbstomp, with all the memes <laughs> in the Discord. I'm cracking up laughing sometimes when I hop in there and just see what the community's up to. Thank you all so much for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.